0: That is the overall theme of what we see. Verses cover Jonah's anger at God's compassion. Jonah's anger—can you imagine that being angry at God. Could you be compassionate? And yet Jonah was compassionate in the first three verses. Let's read the verse. But it displeased Jonah. He was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "Great is not this what I said? What is not that in my country?" That is why country made haste to flee to turn me haste, for I knew that you are a gracious fine, and merciful, slow to anger and a merciful, steadfast love, and resisting fast disaster. Therefore now, master, Lord, please take my life from me. Please Lord, it is better for me to die better to live. And then in the next as we see that the Lord comforts that with this plant for. And the Lord said, "Do you do well? angry. Do you do well with the city?" And sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And then in verses 7 through 11, we see that the Lord's, we see the Lord's patient rebuke of the prophet Jonah. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. O God, we, we do pray that the light of your word would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we would know the Holy Spirit's power to illuminate now as we look, and that you would light our path, and that we would see and we would behold even something of ourselves in the prophet Jonah, as he deals with different matters, and God, as you deal with him, we pray and ask that you would deal with us now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, who in the world could get mad at God for his love and compassion? Well, we have here Exhibit A, Jonah, the prophet, getting angry with the Lord at what he has done. If we were to send you as a missionary to a foreign land, and then you were to report back to us that your preaching had caused the conversion of thousands of people, we would rejoice at hearing that news. And you would be rejoicing as you were on the mission field. But that is not the case with the prophet Jonah. And that is not the case with the people of Israel. Why? Well, we're going to come to that in a minute. We see, we have read here that Jonah's preaching had led to repentance. We saw that in chapter 3 and verse, ta- verse 10 and maybe the book have just should have ended there, in this good news that has occurred there, the repentance of these people. But no, God isn't quite done with the Ninevites, Ninevites and he's not quite done with the prophet Jonah. He has got an important lesson to teach Jonah and to teach all of us. The Lord, the Lord appointed a great fish in the life of Jonah, and yet Jonah went on to behave in the manner that we've seen here in chapter 3. And chapter 4, and you might wonder, well, why didn't God send along a great shark to just bite him in half and end it all there? This prophet in disobedience who is running from the Lord. And you might think, well, there are no sharks there, but you would be wrong. In the Mediterranean, there's over 50 species of sharks. And not all of them are, are people eaters, but there are great whites there. And you might be surprised to know that the largest great white ever 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 caught in the Mediterranean Sea was 23 feet long, 23 feet long, and the man who caught it in 1987 was in a 15-foot boat. I'm not sure how he landed it in order to measure it, but I'm sure he didn't bring it into the boat, and so there are these sharks that are there, and it's said that a 20-foot great white could swallow a person whole. And so why didn't God send a great white to just end the misery of this person once and for all? And the answer should be good news to us. Because one of the great lessons of the book of Jonah is that God uses imperfect people. God uses imperfect people. Imperfect people like us with all of our flaws and failures and imperfections. God will use us. God can use us. And so that is an encouragement to us. And maybe you are sitting here tonight and you feel your failure. You feel your flaws. Perhaps you feel misery like the prophet Jonah. And so it's an encouragement to us to look into this book once again, a very familiar story to us with so, so many lessons for us and to take heart that while we are still alive, living and breathing on this planet that God can use even us to extend His kingdom, to bring the gospel and hope to various people that we come in contact with. God is perfect and we aren't. and We need to recognize that and we can't put up a false front and we can't put up this false pretense that we are perfect. No, we are imperfect people seeking to minister to other imperfect people imperfectly, And so there are flaws and mistakes and failures that get made along the way. Just a brief recap of the book of of Jonah's life. Jonah is a prophet of God. He's sent to go and to preach to the Ninevites. But instead he says, no, I don't want to go there. I hate the Ninevites. I'm going to go the other way, as far away as I can get. And so he boards that ship and he wants to go to a faraway land to get as far away as from Israel as po- as possible, as far away from the temple of God, the presence of God as possible. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. They're known for their brutality. They were brutal against the nation of Israel. And so Jonah hated them. The Israelites hated them. And so... Jonah didn't want to go there, and so he ran from God instead. And then, of course, the well-known story. The, the, the storms blow up, and the ship is ready to capsize, and the sailors, they show a lot more grace in this account than Jonah does. The sailors row hard to try to save Jonah. After Jonah tells them, "I'll well, just throw me into the sea, and things will be done. I am the culprit. I am the reason why that this has come upon us and yet the sailors row hard to try to save them, but they can't. They are going to capsize, and so they eventually throw Jonah into the sea, and the great fish swallows Jonah in three days, three nights. Again, God is gracious to Jonah another time. He doesn't just snap him in half with a shark. He preserves him in this great fish for three nights and three days, this this smelly fish that he is in. And through there in chapter 2, we see Jonah's repentance in the belly of this great fish. And then eventually the fish, as we know, carries Jonah towards the destination God wants him to go. And he vomits him up onto dry land and then sets him on a new course again. The call comes to him once again, God is a God of second chances. We see that in chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go. And this time, instead of running, he goes to the place he does not want to go. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Instead of running away, he obeys the call of God and he travels to this evil city known for its atrocities. And Jonah probably took pleasure in being a doomsday prophet. He probably went in the streets of this city up and down, going along this day's journey through the streets, uh, calling out against this city, 40 days and you guys are toast. You're done. And he probably said it with some glee. He wanted their demise. He wanted God to judge them for all of the atrocities committed against Israel and against all the other nations around He wanted to see them destroyed. And what I want us to notice tonight is that this account tells us not only so much about Jonah, but so much more about our God. So much more about our God. Most importantly, what this text tells us is about God and why this should be an encouragement and comfort to us as we go along in our Christian lives. Jonah didn't run because he was afraid of the Ninevites. That wasn't the reason, although they were evil and violent people. No, chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us the reason why Jonah ran. And it has to do with the character and nature of God, that this God that Jonah knew, this God that some of us know, and the God that I want to remind you of tonight, who deals in this manner with his people, with you as his children. And so the lesson that God was teaching Jonah, and to Israel and to us, is that he is compassionate towards sinners, compassionate towards the Ninevites, these evil, undeserving people, Compassionate towards Jonah and the Israelites, who were undeserving people, and compassionate towards us, who also are undeserving of the great grace that God's shown us. And so that is the thing that I want us to note from this book, the overall theme of the book God's compassion for sinners. And as I mentioned in verses 1 to 3, we see that, that Jonah is angry at God's compassion. He's angry at God's compassion. He's the only preacher, evangelist in world history who doesn't want to see people converted. He wants to see them judged. And we see that he gets very upset. And we see that in verse 3 and 10. That's why he is upset. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. He relented. God did not do it. And this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And literally it means here that it was evil in the sight of Jonah. He saw God as doing evil by doing this. What was evil? The compassion shown to the Ninevites. And could you imagine thinking that God is evil because he's shown compassion? Can you imagine the forgetfulness of the prophet Jonah? How he's forgotten the, the grace that, that God has shown to him in his preservation. The grace God has shown to him as being from Israel. All the gracious benefits that they had. The arrogance that he had in this. Thinking that God is evil for doing this. He is so twisted in his thinking that he says in verse 2 that I was afraid of this. I was afraid you were going to do this, God. He knew full well who God was. And we see this beautiful description, this beautiful theology of the character of God in verse 2. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. A God of forgiveness. Jonah knew God. He knew the doctrine of God. He had his doctrine right. But this doctrine didn't make its way down into his heart. And so he knew Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And and take a look at how this is almost exactly like Jonah 4 and verse 2. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin sounds very familiar to our text. And so Jonah knew this. Jonah had experienced all of these different attributes and characteristics of God. And this tells us so much about God. And the first thing it tells us is that God is gracious. He's tender hearted towards us, his people. God is gracious. Jonah knew it. And we see it unfolded for us in our new testaments. We have a great picture of God's grace as an unmerited favor towards his people. That is God's grace, unmerited favor. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you happy about that tonight? That God does not treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. He does not condemn us for our sins because we have turned in repentance and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us a gift, a great gift that we do not deserve. And that gift is eternal life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. It's free. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's freely, graciously given to us by our God. But this grace is not only a grace that we have received, it's also a grace in which we, have, we stand. And we see that in Romans 5 and verse 2 that that Jorge read for us earlier. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we are saved by grace, but we continue on in grace. We stand by grace each and every day. Do you ever feel unworthy of God's grace? Do you ever sit back and think about these different things and contemplate them and think, how could God, be so gracious to me who is such a sinner, who deserves wrath, rightfully condemned outside of Christ Jesus. And and that is good to think that. We've received His mercy, His patience, His love, and those things listed for us in chapter 2. We are unworthy. And that's the whole point of grace. It's unmerited favor. We are utterly unworthy unworthy. We are ugly in our sinfulness. That's the wonder of God's grace. But God redeems and he makes beautiful that which was once ugly. God takes us and redeems us. He's gracious to us. He gives to his people grace. People like you and me who are unworthy and undeserving, yet God chooses to be gracious to us. And so that is the first thing. The second is mercy. We see that God is merciful. He is full of compassion towards us, His people. That is our God. He is a God full of grace and of mercy. A God who knows us at our worst and yet gives us His best to bless us in spite of us. Now that doesn't mean that God takes sin lightly or that we are to take sin lightly or we are to sin that grace might abound. No, we don't, we don't think that. But it reminds us that when we do sin, that we have an advocate in the heavens interceding for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't have to live in that guilt, in that shame. When we face plant, we can lift our heads towards heaven. We can look and wonder and grace once again at all that God has provided for us in the gospel. When we face plant, God is a God who is merciful, who is kind and gracious to us. And when we go to Him asking for forgiveness, He promises based on the unmerited favor shown to us in our Lord Jesus, He has promised to forgive us. And so the third thing that we see here is that God is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is patient with us. I don't know about you, but God puts up with an awful lot from me. I should just be consumed. I should be uh, consumed by a shark if I were in the ocean. All you'd see left are my shoes poking out from the end of a shark. And that is the end of me. That's that's what I would rightfully deserve. But yet God is long-suffering. He is patient. He is slow to anger. He doesn't suffer from a bad night's sleep. He doesn't get malnourished and then get grumpy because of it. That's not the way God deals with us. He is patient with us. And then in keeping with us, This we see that God is abounding in steadfast love. He's consistent. He's constant. He doesn't ebb and flow and go up and down in his love towards us. It's always the same. God's love doesn't go up and down. It doesn't it doesn't ebb and flow. It's the same all of the time. He will never love you more because of that good thing that you did to that other church member, or that good work that you did for your neighbor. And he will never love you less because of that face plant that you took last week. God's love towards his children is consistent. It's constant. It's loyal. Always the same. And then God is forgiving. We see that at the end of verse 2. He's relenting from disaster. He relents from disaster. God is forgiving. God is forgiving towards those who repent. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't hold on to offenses like we might. He doesn't grow bitter and angry when we offend him. He doesn't deal with people the way that we might. We can grow bitter, unforgiving, holding on to grudges, having a chip on our shoulders, proud, spiteful, arrogant, vindictive, and so on. God is not that way. God doesn't hold on to a grudge God doesn't dredge up our past sins and then throw them back at us. God doesn't deal in that way with us. Cory ten Boom was a watchmaker alongside of her father in the Netherlands. And uh, when Nazi Germany came into the Netherlands in 1940, uh, they they began to hide uh, Jewish people within their home until they were found out and arrested and, and put into Ravensbrück, uh, Concentration camp. Left behind in, in Corey's bedroom, behind a false wall, were six Jewish people. They all survived. Corey's family did not. But Corey did. She, due to a clerical error, she was released from this concentration camp and she was let out free. Within a week, everyone else in her age group, all of these other young ladies that were in her age group, all of them went to the gas chamber. She was a week away from being with them. It's an amazing life, an amazing testimony. Corey and her sister, who died at that camp, they smuggled in a Bible somehow. I don't know how, but they smuggled in a Bible. They had worship services after hours, after they had had hard days of labor. And they saw many young ladies come to the Lord Jesus Christ through ministering to them in that concentration camp. But one of the quotes that she has regarding God's gracious forgiveness to those who come to the Lord Jesus Christ, she says this, when God buries our sins in the deepest sea, he posts a sign which reads, no fishing allowed. No fishing allowed. We can't go and fish back those sins. God has forgiven them. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And she may be had on her mind, Micah 7.19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. There's no pulling them up anymore. We don't need to live in the past and in regrets and in shame and in guilt. We can confess our sins knowing that God is faithful to forgive them. There's no pulling them up anymore. God doesn't dredge them up and throw them back at us. He forgives us. It's over. It's done. So God is gracious to us. God is merciful to us. God is patient with us. God is abounding in steadfast love. God is forgiving. Is that the God that you know? Is that the God that you have experienced like Jonah had? His grace, his mercy, his patience, his love, his forgiveness. That is Jonah's theology. And it's good and it's biblical. But sometimes getting those truths from our heads into our hearts can be a long long ways. And so we need to remind ourselves when we are feeling that way, when we are feeling as though we are so unworthy, we need to remind ourselves of who our God is and the great grace that he's shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a God of compassion towards us. Jonah knew his doctrine of God, which was good and right, but this led to a great difficulty with God that was very, very wrong. And he got angry with God. As we look at Jonah, we see that he is someone who understood clearly God's love and God's grace and compassion, but he didn't like where God chose to display it. He was quite willing to receive that for himself, right? God had graciously given him, a, him another opportunity, God graciously saved them in the mouth of the, or in the belly of this great fish, and yet. He didn't like it when it was displayed. This grace was displayed to the Ninevites. He wanted them dead. And as a result, he prayed that the Lord would just take him, that the Lord would take his life, that the Lord would kill him. Verse 3, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Why? Well, prophets have been preaching to the nation of Israel for 150 years, and they had not been repentant. They had continued in their disobedience. And could you imagine Jonah now going back to Israel with the Israelites hating the Ninevites, with Jonah himself hating the Ninevites, that within a day they come in repentance and faith to the Lord, and yet the nation of Israel remains unchanged, remains hard-hearted, remains to be walking in disobedience. And secondly, let's notice here how patient how, and how tender the Lord is with Jonah. We see that in verses 4 through verse 6. The Ninevites are awful people. They deserve judgment. But yet, Jonah goes to this hillside. He's got his bowl of popcorn ready. He wants to see charbroiled Ninevites consumed from this hillside. And what does God do? He relents from destroying them. The Lord was able to forgive them, but Jonah couldn't. Jonah wouldn't. And Jonah held up his end of the bargain. He went to Nineveh. He went where God wanted him to go. He said what God wanted him to say. And yet God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. God did not consume them. God relented from this disaster and forgave them. And so here we see Jonah, consumed with anger, thinking that God has done evil. And yet, once again, we see the Lord providing shade in in this plant for Jonah. Grace shown to the prophet once again. He is looking over the city in the blazing sun, and the Lord provides for him shelter. Again, gracious to him. But he's gracious to a point, and then he's going to take away this plant And he's going to expose the head to the hot sun, the head of Jonah to the hot sun, and yet expose his sin at the same time. And we see that in verses 7 through 11, where God gives Jonah a lesson in love and compassion. Jonah barely had time to enjoy this plant and the shade that it provided, and then it was gone. And in its place comes the scorching desert wind, and again, Jonah wants to die. Jonah wants to die. We are called to give up our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ as disciples of His. We are called to walk in faith, whatever that means. And it could mean our lives. But Jonah has something completely different in mind here when he wants his life to be taken. He's not talking about discipleship and walking in obedience. He's not talking about going to this violent culture, the Ninevites, and thinking, well, I could die as a result of preaching to these folks, but that's okay, I'm obedient to God. That's a cost of discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another man who gave his life as he was persecuted and died at the hands of the Nazis. One of his famous quotes is that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. We're to come and die to ourselves. And we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may cost us our lives. It did with Bonhoeffer. But Jonah wants to die. But there's a big difference between Bonhoeffer and Jonah. We're called, if necessary, for our faith. Jonah wanted to die because of a lack of faith. A lack of seeing who God is and what God was up to. And then the Lord gives him this great lesson in love, a lesson in compassion. And the point is that the Lord's primary concern is for people. Jonah's primary concern at this point was for the plant, was for himself. He wanted the Ninevites judged and consumed. He wanted this plant to continue to give him shade, for him to be comfortable. And he didn't give one whit about the Ninevites and all the souls that were there. And so the Lord reminds him at the end of his compassion upon all of these different people. And even, the text says, much cattle. Even the preservation of all of these animals. And so the primary lesson of this book can be summed up in that one word, compassion. God has compassion for sinners. Sinners like us. Compassion for people. Sinners from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Not just Israel. That was a lesson that Jonah needed to learn. And in terms of ap- applying this and in, in various other ways, there's a lot of ways in which we could go here as we wind down our time. We could renew our compassion for other people. That could be one of the lessons that we see. We have every nation, tribe, and tongue coming to our city, in our church. And so we renew our compassion, remind ourselves that the gospel is for every nation, nation tribe, tribe and tongue. When we see the wicked doing evil, and we say, Lord, judge them, consume them, we need to remind ourselves of the grace that God has shown us, and that God also can show grace to these people who are doing these great things of wickedness. Or we could ask a question as we seek to apply this. We could ask a question like this, and this is a a difficult searching one for me. Are you more like Jonah? Or more like the Lord. God is gracious. Jonah wants vengeance. God is merciful. Jonah wants them dead. God is slow to anger, patient, long suffering. Jonah was short fused, angry, angry even at God. Quick to anger, flew into a rage at what God had done. God is loving and forgiving. Jonah wants them judged and punished. He wants justice meted out. Are you more like Jonah or more like the Lord? Are you holding on to grudges, unforgiving, bitter, angry, short-fused in the way that you deal with people? That's like Jonah. And the Apostle Paul admonishes us, reminds us in Ephesians 5.1 that we are to be imitators of God. God. We are to be imitators of God. We are to put on these different characteristics that God has. Imperfectly, absolutely. But that is we are to, what we are to strive for. What is God like? Well, Jonah 4 two tells us what our God is like. God is gracious, merciful, patient, loving, forgiving. Are you? Am I? Or we could apply it this way. Remember God's compassion to you on the cross of Christ. God's compassion to us on the cross of Christ. God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Christ died for sinners like us. The love of God does not mean that He turns a blind eye to sin. And the cross of Christ reminds us of that. The cross of Christ is a bloody display. It's an absolute wreck. A display of God's love and God's justice meted out on the person of Christ for sin. God doesn't take sin lightly. Look at the cross. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. And when we look at the cross, we see both the righteous wrath of God and the incredible love and compassion of God, as our sin is dealt with in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of God's love should also, should always make us ponder this, About the cross. Thinking of God's judgment of Christ on the cross should always remind us of how wicked and heinous sin is and the lengths to which the triune God went to deal with it. The cost that Christ went through to deal with it. Jonah knew God's compassion. He didn't respond correctly to his view of God's compassion, but his view was correct. His view of God was correct. And we can know this love more fully than Jonah as we have the cross to look back to and to rejoice in. And so the Lord's compassion, compassion towards you, compassion towards others. God doesn't cast us off. God doesn't say that's it. God doesn't snap us in half with a shark. He sent us a Savior to make us whole the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the compassion of God on full display in the person of Christ, graciously looking over that city of Jerusalem, wanting to take them into his arms and give compassion to those who are repentant, but they would not. God graciously saves those who come to him. He looks upon us with compassion in our helpless estate. He looks upon us with pity and with mercy to assuage the disaster that awaited us in the person of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you that you relent from disaster. I thank you for each and every person here in which that is their testimony, that at some point in time you intervened in their lives. Even before the foundation of the, of the world, you had mercy Upon us, not because of any good thing within us, but only because you are a God who takes pity upon sinners like us. And then I also pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to you and turn to you and know your grace and compassion and mercy, that they would turn to you this night, knowing the forgiveness of their sins and seeking to walk in newness of life. We thank you for this book of Jonah, we thank you for all of the lessons in it. We pray that you would help us to live in light of this grace. In Christ's name, amen.